This show is brought to you by the Email Laundry, making email safe for your customers. Visit www.theemaillaundry.com forward slash tublog for a very special listener offer and to have your MSP's domain filtered by the Email Laundry for free. You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and Michael George of Continuum. My name is Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks with Michael George, the CEO of Continuum. With more than 25 years' experience of leading high-growth software companies, Michael is a wealth of information. In this interview, Richard picks Michael's brain on how Continuum empowers managed service providers, Michael's tips on leadership, and much more. This episode was recorded in person between Richard and Michael at the Tate Museum in London. We apologize for any background noise in this episode. Richard felt the interview was so valuable that it had to be published despite it being recorded in a public place. And now, without further ado, here's Richard Tubb talking with Michael George. Hi everybody, Richard Tubb here and I'm sat today with Michael George, the CEO of Continuum. Now, Michael has over 25 years of experience in starting, building and leading world-class technology companies. He served as a CEO at Continuum since 2011 and they serve thousands of managed service providers in the SMB market around the world. Michael, welcome. Richard, thank you very much. Uh, delighted to be here. Now, we're in the Tate Modern today for the uh, Continuum European Partner event. We've snuck outside to the coffee shop, so you can hear the sounds of uh, a coffee shop going on around us. Um, tell us a little bit about what Continuum are doing in Europe. At the moment. Yeah, no, so we're absolutely thrilled to be here. We have over 200 of our European partners joining us on uh, European Partner Day today, so we're thrilled about that, that level of engagement and commitment and we've uh, we put together a, a terrific agenda to uh, bring to our partners some some of the new technologies our product roadmap some new engagement uh, model components to the things that we're doing in and around our partner base so it's a full day committed to you know working together listening learning you know peer interaction and uh, and a lot of good um, engagement with them tomorrow uh, Richard, we have our first European Partner Advisory Council meeting. It's a half-day dedicated. We have a select group of partners who are a proxy for our European Partner community that are going to help us devise our roadmap for our product, for our company, for our mission, and you know, let us know what's on their mind, what the issues are that they're facing every day, you know, to make sure that we as an organization are aligned in in developing and delivering for them exactly what they need. And there are unique aspects of the European market, the pan-European market, uh, you know, and just sort of all the different markets that we serve today. We're in Sydney, Australia, we're obviously in the US, we're in South Africa, and, uh, and we're out throughout South America. So there are unique attributes to each of these geographies, and we want to make sure that we're addressing you know, the, the uniqueness of them. We've got about 200 people, 200 partners here today, right. so you've got a full room. We're at the beautiful Tate Modern uh, in London on the uh, banks of the River Thames. Looking around the room, looking around the attendees, there's a lot of the UK's top MSP partners there. But for people who aren't familiar with Continuum, um, how would you describe who Continuum are and what you do? Yeah, so first of all, we're grateful that we do have 
some of the largest and the most successful MSPs in the business. And we would like to take full credit for that. And uh, we, we, we don't and we can't. We are in this in a, as a true partner. So we are 100% partner committed. We only sell through the channel. We do not do anything direct with the end user or the end customer. We're clear about that. And therefore, our success is explicitly tied to theirs. So everything we do is in and around making our partners successful on the sales, marketing, service delivery, the engagement model, everything that we do is really engineered and designed around that. And that's why the largest and most successful MSPs in the business are our partners because of that very symbiotic uh, partnership and relationship. It's not transactional. We're not a vendor in the, in the traditional sense of the word. It's a, it's a very, very different business model. We do provide a technology platform that is a what we call a vertically integrated service delivery platform. It's all the revenue generating sides of an IT services company, Richard. So everything in the remote monitoring and management, the backup and disaster recovery, and the security space, right? Those are really the, the, the three corners of the IT service delivery a model today, and so we have our own unique proprietary technology. We actually acquired a company in the in the uh, RMM space. It was a company called Zenith InfoTech. You know it well. Very you were, familiar. I used were, to be a Zenith, uh, or Zenith as we would say here in the UK. I used to be a Zenith partner back in the day when I ran an MSP myself. Right, right. So, uh, and you know, uh, Zenith was was a founder of this whole industry, right, and really a yeah. definer of the way the industry shaped out. So we acquired the RMM property or the assets from Zenith. Uh, we went out and acquired a backup and disaster recovery company. We bought a company that was the leading provider in the web hosting world called R1Soft. They're very much a global company. In fact, less than 30% of the revenue from uh, R1Soft even came from the United States. Most of it was in Europe, right? you know, actually a, a, a number of pan-European uh, web hosting providers here uh, was, uh, was really the uh, what what uh, they serve. That's the industry that R1Soft traditionally served. We still serve it under the R1 brand, but we acquired it and built our entire continuity 24-7 on top of that. So if you look at most of the world today, it's all based on storage craft with their snapshot engine. And in fact, Zenith's uh, BDR was based on storage craft, perhaps, as you recall as well. So is Datto's, right? So a lot of company, eFolder, right? These are all companies that, that built everything around their, their um, we, we did not want to get caught behind that. Datto's facing that now, right, where they have to build their own snapshot engine. That's going to be very, very hard work for them. Everybody's now getting off of StorageCraft. Now the StorageCraft's declared themselves a competitor, you know, to the channel that they used to be serving. And so we purposefully went out, you know, made that acquisition and have launched our own BDR uh, in that space. And we're doing largely the same in the security category, where we're acquiring properties, we're using some open source, and we have, much like our underlying value proposition being, you know, this is really not just a technology solution. This is a combination of technology and service delivery. And so many people miss that part of the equation that they end up with bad metrics and bad economics in their business, because their highest cost of goods sold is their labor, right? Sure. You know, trying to hire people in these local economies is virtually impossible. So as you well know, our business model is this vertically integrated service delivery, 
We're doing it for the NOC, you know, connected with the RMM. We do it for BDR. It's fully managed, so you're not getting on your hands and knees to make the BDRs work the way, you know, an MSB is, you know, they think the surface cost is it, but if you look at the service around it, you know, that's where they end up going from a profitable to a non-profitable, yes. uh, you know, equation with that. And we're doing the same in security. Security is a combination, Richard, of great technology that's protecting your environment, some unified threat management, but also anomaly detection, and then the ability to remotely isolate and remediate. And therefore, we're engineering a SOC, a security operations center based in Pune and based in Mumbai, much like the rest of our service delivery operations are. So, so that's how you should think of us. We're, we're not doing things on, we don't have a PSA. We partner with Autotask, we partner with ConnectWise and others uh, for, for that part of it. We're very focused, maniacally focused on the revenue and growth generating uh, aspects for our IT service partners. That makes sense. And your IT service partners, um, we've mentioned there's some heavy hitters in the uh, in the tech modern here today. But what type? What do what do your typical partners look like? I mean, is Continuum a solution that's too too big or too heavy for smaller partners? What yeah. does it look like? Well, so the heritage of Zenith, as you well know, was to help the market as it was starting to go from the cottage industry it once was to being a maturing industry, was to take people that were traditionally in the break-fix business, the, the more traditional handwork business, and turn them into managed service providers. And there's still a fair amount of that that we do, frankly, right? Where it is a completely scalable model. You can kind of step in, just add water, and all of a sudden now you've got a pretty large uh, IT service delivery organization you know, that's backing you uh, as a company. So we still find ourselves helping people get into the business. But to your point, we've got the heaviest hitters in all of Europe now as part of our platform, and we've helped make them that way, right? We've helped them grow and scale and go out and have the breadth and the depth of skills, right, to provide elastic computing out there and go sign up a really, really large customer and do so with confidence because they're now not running around trying to hire five people to go support it. They have the ability to onboard them and then we give them all that scalability and all that economy of scale associated with, with being really big. So a lot of them started with us very small and, and got big and, uh, and we continue to onboard new people in the business. We're also finding a lot of people that are just running out of headroom. They might be on another tool, another RMM tool. They might be on a different backup a platform, Richard, and what they're finding is is that it's not that they hate those tools, they just can't grow. Their, their growth is dependent on their ability to go out and hire in these local markets, local IT talent. And so they're constrained more by that than they are by any of the tools or automation or anything else. And so we find a lot of them coming to us and coming to our platform because it gives them the elasticity and the ability to just very instantly go in out and start to expand and grow without you know, putting out ads and in, in this very, very heavily contested IT right IT market. It is very hard. It's fascinating. So I tweeted out a few days ago that I was going to interview you for the podcast and uh, the response that I got back was phenomenal. You know, lots of people with lots of questions, not only about yourself, but about Continuum as a service provider. And I think a lot of that is down to, you know, there's always been a skills gap, a skills shortage. It's always been difficult for IT companies, MSPs to hire good people. 
it's more difficult than ever at the moment. And so I think a lot of uh, MSPs are looking and saying, what would it look like if I just got rid of the, the <laughs> issue of, uh, you know, the challenge of having to hire people? How are you finding uh, MSPs in the US are finding uh, hiring and retaining staff in compared to what you're seeing in the UK and other places? Yeah, in the world? look, it's a, it's, a, it's a universal problem in all first world economies. I don't think there's anything unique in the US from what's happening here. There's certain parts of South Africa, there's certain parts in the Asian uh, uh, communities today where you know IT is so in demand and the skills gap between those people that really have the broad set of skills to work in these increasingly complex environments, you know, to be readily available. So the IT, the, the labor wage inflation is off the charts, as you know. And by the way, that's not relenting, Richard. That's not like something that's going, this isn't a Y2K problem. Sure. This is a skills gap, a generational issue, and it's not going away anytime soon. In fact, it's actually getting worse and worse for people. So. We don't, we don't see it you know, relenting in, in any way, shape, or form, and people are being forced to work in a globally distributed service delivery model, which is what we bring to bear, right? We're bringing these third world, you know, if you, if you look at places like India, where things like STEM in public education has been on the rise at the same rate it's been on the decline yeah. in, in other first world economies, and so we tap into this incredibly rich uh, labor uh, environment and bring it in through that platform, you know, bring it to bear in these first world economies. It's a perfect match of not only, you know, it, you, you might think of it as traditional outsourcing, it's not. It's actually smart sourcing because it's not like you give it up to us. Uh, our IT service partners get to turn the dial up or down as to how much we do versus how much we don't do. And they take on all of the customer-facing activity, all the things that you know require a local presence, good, you know, good, good, you know, interpersonal skills, and the high-value strategic work. That's what we want our partner to deliver, and that's what our partners want to deliver, right? That interface to, to their customer. What we're doing is, is all the all that back-end work, right? All that noisy, busy, hard to fulfill, you know, and 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 very hard to make an economic, you know, sense out of it with local skills in those local economies. So it's really a perfect marriage of, again, smart sourcing and stratifying the service delivery model you know, for the partner. Does that, yeah. make, does that make sense? That makes absolute yeah. sense. And I'd like to come back in a little bit to um, the type of work that you do for partners and maybe some of the pushbacks that you get. But I'm really intrigued by, by something you said earlier on in your keynote this morning, which was about the office in um, the Philippines. Mm -hmm. That, that, so that's a new venture. It is. Uh, it's a wholly owned uh, office. So this isn't outsourced, is it? This is an office that you're setting up from scratch. Would yep. that be right? That's correct. Tell me more about that venture. Yeah. So in in much like India has been a outstanding resource for incredibly talented IT skills uh, at a much more affordable rate than we're finding in these local economies. If you look in the Philippines, the Philippines, uh, much like India, was occupied, as you know, by the British uh, for so many years and brought English language as a common language uh, for, uh, for that community. Um, Manila in particular, but the Philippines in general were occupied actually by the U.S. since the late 1800s. So English language is the foremost uh, language across the entire country. Uh, number one. Number two is because of their core education system, their public education system, they have a very rich IT skill base in that community. And 
uh, outsourcing for IT skills and the whole uh, business process outsourcing has become the number one industry for the Philippines. That's the number one export. So it's not like we're the first ones to go there or to be there. You know, we're tapping into a well-structured, well-understood uh, environment for them. It's over, uh, over a million people in the, there's an area called BPO Alley, literally just outside of Manila, that's, that is all IT service companies uh, that are doing this. So in fact, these are employees of ours. We are not outsourcing this to somebody else. Uh, we're actually building out and staging a world-class help desk operation for, uh, for that community. We're doing that because uh, oftentimes the uh, natural English language for India is hard on the ears of our customer community and it's not really particularly well accepted yes. in the small to medium business market. It's much more accepted in the large enterprise, but not in the SME. And so if you listen to the English language spoken from the Philippines, it's got all the soft you know, attributes uh, and, uh, and, and so it's a much more favorable to the ear. In fact, it would be rare if here in the UK, anywhere across pan you know, the pan-European markets, if you didn't buy a product from somebody, even a consumer product in the electronics world, that when you picked up the phone and dialed 1-800 for some online help, there's a very, very good chance you were talking to somebody yeah. that's in the Philippines and you had no idea that you were. You probably knew they weren't here from the UK, you probably, but you wouldn't have, you, you couldn't pinpoint it by any stretch and you wouldn't be offended by it. It's incredibly acceptable uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the ear. So we are, we're building out, we're staging it. We have over 200 people in our help desk operation today. It's grown really fast because Again, that's a well-understood problem. Nobody wants to, nobody of great hard skills around IT, soft skills around interpersonal skills, wants to sit on the phone and wait for the phone to ring to hear some angry customer complain that they can't get their password, right? I mean, sure. you know, this is what, they just don't want to do that, right? We don't have a labor force in these local economies that want to do that stuff, nor should they, right? They should be doing higher value, strategic work around virtualization, around cloud computing, around replatforming. Those, those are interesting jobs, right? We're not in the business of eliminating jobs. We're just in the business of really stratifying the work. We'll do all the grunt work. We'll do all that hard stuff. That's why we're using Manila as a, um, a global uh, help desk operation. We have one today in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that's supporting our European uh, partners. And we'll let people choose basically where they want to be if they can even hear the difference uh, yeah. between between one or the other. So we're actually just, we're, and this is the first effort of a broader globalization of our help desk. We will put help desk operations here in Europe uh, over time. We're going to be putting them in Germany, places where we have, you know, language differences yes. and need to uh, address, you know, the Benelux, the Nordics, uh, Germany, France, Italy. These are places that will also stage help desks in those geographies over time. And the operation that we're staging in Manila is that the first effort in that. So if I may, I'll ask, you know, you've been CEO since 2011 um, and you've got offices in the US, India, Philippines upcoming. You've got staff here on the grounds in the UK and Europe. Um, how do you find managing a distributed workforce in all those different continents across all those different time zones? A CEO, how do you manage that? Yeah, so with a lot of air miles uh, <laughs> and, a, and a spectacular team of executives. So you get out there quite often to actually make I do, yeah. I do. In fact, so we, we have more than 1,400 employees uh, in the company today. We added over 250 last year. We'll add 250 to 300 net new employees in the company. And I make a personal commitment 
uh, to make it around the globe and shake the hands of every employee in the company. Uh, and I do that actually, I mean, I do that across the course of a, of a year for sure, but toward the end of the year with between holiday celebrations, end of year, you know, we go through our, we have an open book policy, we talk through quarterly meetings around our performance as a company and our growth and our strategy with the entire um, continuum, you know, team continuum, and I make a point of getting around, it takes me about five weeks and I shake the hand of every employee in the company. So it's with hard work and a lot of passion, you know, and caring about people. They're, they're really, Richard, I, you know, we, when we founded the company you know, a little more than five years ago, there were two tenants that we just felt were going to keep us true to, um, to our mission and to our objectives. And one was to, um, to really embrace our, our team, our employees. You know, we, we focus on talent management, we bring lots of resources to them, training, education, growth, opportunity. And so we have very low retention, we have very, very high skills in our organization, and we get, you know, we just have some of the most talented people in the world, frankly, in this business, and we feel blessed about it, and it was very intentional. And the other is, is to care deeply about our partners. And in the same way, that's why our investments in and around our partner engagement. We, we, I mentioned in my keynote this morning, in 2016, we spent more than $55 million was appropriated directly to uh, collaborate, Continuum University, all of the partner engagement tools and resources and everything else to help our partners be successful. We figured let's make our employees really successful and help them maximize their potential while they're here with us. And let's make our partners the most successful and help them maximize their potential as an MSP, delivering in their communities, you know, being successful, whatever defines success for them around growth and finance and everything else. And, and those have been two, the two fundamental tenants, you know, tenants to the business. So you're right about all those geographies we've opened up recently in Sydney, Australia. Believe it or not, we have some engineering in the Ukraine. We have the, some engineering in Bolivia. We're in Houston, Texas. We we acquired a back, you know, the leading backup provider in in um, in the world, and they happen to be in Houston, Texas. Our headquarters are in Boston. We have over 250 employees in Pittsburgh. You know, we're truly a club. We have over 10 employees here, and and we're growing our offices. We've more than doubled our operation here. We're going to continue to do that year over year, and so so that just that you know, we 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 really established ourselves as a truly global company. We're not a US company that branched out. Sure. You know, we were we were we we started as a global company. I've been a global, you know, I've been a CEO of other global companies and operations before. And just the way you think about that, the way you approach it is very, very different than again if you were a US based company trying to, you know, branch out and set up, you know, other offices. Other offices are typically only sales offices. So the interaction that you get here in the in the UK or anywhere in Europe with any of these other American-based companies, you're only dealing with their sales entities, and that's a very limiting experience. We're not that, right? All of our every everything we do is is truly, you know, global in its nature, and we're very mindful to be very respectful of local cultures, local attributes in any one of these geographies, but at the same time, stitch ourselves together by a certain set of common values. You, you have children? Do you have children, Richard? So, two step children. Yeah. yeah, you have two step. So, you know, if you think about your own children, they're unique in their own ways, and yet they're stitched together by a certain set of common values that you and your wife, you know, brought to bear and how you wanted to raise them. And we think about our company very much that same way. They are, you know, each of these entities, each of these, um, you know, operations that we have in all these different geographies 
they have they have their own local cultures they have their own uh, you know attributes and their own personalities but they are incredibly common like you wouldn't go to our office here in the UK and think for a moment it wasn't a, a continuum company and yet we let them be you know their own sort of independent personality wise they're stitched together and they're part of team continuum uh, globally so Okay, I'd like to briefly pause for a second to let you know about my new book, The IT Business Owner's Survival Guide. I'm the former owner of an IT managed service provider business myself, so I know exactly what it's like to struggle to cope with the day-to-day stresses of running an IT business. I know there are days or even weeks when you get frustrated and wonder whether it's all worth it to go it alone. I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be like that. The IT Business Owner Survival Guide contains a collection of easy-to-digest guides and tips on how to cope with the common tasks that cause IT business owners worry and stress. If you want to learn how to save time, avoid stress, and build a successful IT business, then you don't have to do it alone. You can buy the IT Business Owner Survival Guide from Amazon or visit itbusinesssurvivalguide.com and download the first chapter for free. That's itbusinesssurvivalguide.com. 25 years in the industry, what would you say on a personal level is the one constant that still remains true today (laughs) or has always been true over the last 25 years? Yeah, isn't that true? Well, you know, it's a great question because... First of all, I, I, I love technology. I love being in technology. I love uh, you know everything about it. And I think I think it's, you know this is a self-select industry, right? You either you have a passion for it, you care deeply about it, and you understand that it's not just technology for technology's sake. It's really about solving an important business challenge. And and when you marry those two things up, and you get your head around that, then then it then it you know then it's, that's where you can really be impactful for people's business, right? Around you know what what we do in the IT service business around business continuity, security, protecting, you know, allowing businesses to thrive and flourish. That IT is an asset for them, not a liability, right? That you know, think about how to use IT for your your extreme competitive advantage. Whether you're a restaurant, whether you're a law firm, whether you're a dentist, doesn't matter, right? You know, IT and infrastructure and technology should be your friend. And it should be your asset as a company, and so we we really are very mindful of marrying those two things, you know, together. I will say that, you know, technology has a certain set of unique attributes to it. Oftentimes, people think about technology as something that is going to eliminate jobs. Sure. It's going to eliminate work. It's going to automate things. Uh, and the the um, uh, the person from CompT I think spoke a little bit about this today too, which is. In fact, it's just been just the opposite. If you look at the industrial revolution, if you look at the technology revolution, these are things that have created jobs. Yeah. It's created opportunity. It's advanced ourselves as a society, as business, whatever you know, whatever whatever you know, the underlying purpose or mission is. And so, one of the constants is you know across this is it isn't just about the technology. It's about the combination of technology and people and the engagement model and all the things that we're engineered around. And that was true 25 years ago when I entered the industry. And It'll be true, you know, in the next 25 years if I get if I, if, if the uh, industry will have me long enough, and so and it's certainly you know very true today. And we have married those things up, I think, very very effectively, you know, to the benefit of our, of our partner community. And the other is is that that the paradox of high technology has always been a sensation that there's an incentive to wait, that people believe that 
if I wait, then things will get better and they'll get cheaper. And in the world of pure technology, that's fundamentally true. But the opposite is true in the IT world today because waiting in a world where complexity and the amount of service delivery that's required in the complexity of these environments is requiring more and more people and skills to be applied to it. And as you and I just talked about, wage inflation is going up, not going down. So there isn't an incentive to wait. Things aren't getting better and cheaper, things are actually getting more complex and they're getting more expensive to serve and solve. And so there really is an incentive to move very, very quickly. This is true for all the way out to the end. We always think about the, the end customer first, our partners' customers first. And we say, you know, what is it about their IT environment? And there is no benefit to waiting, it's just the opposite. They need to move quickly, they need to get, you know, they need to make investments, they need to get, you know, secure IT infrastructure in place, they need to have high bandwidth and high, there's no incentive to wait there, it's all, it's a, and then for our partners, there's no incentive to wait either. Because, again, if they look at their, if they're intellectually honest with themselves and they look at their cost of goods sold, they'll stare, it'll stare them right back in the face that their labor is the most expensive part of cost of goods sold in an IT services company. And in our model, we give you the opportunity to have a fixed cost with that and take the labor component, not completely out, but largely out of your, of your economics and put it in on a fixed cost basis. But for the piece that remains, cost is going up, environments are more and more complex, and you know the, the, the fight for talent is getting worse, not getting better. So, so this is something you, you asked about, you know, what are some of the macro trends, what are some of the things I've seen over the last 25 years, and frankly, I think we're gonna be facing these same challenges 25 years from now. They'll be in a slightly different flavor or boxed in some other, packaged up in some other form, but, but yeah. these will be the underlying issues. There's a lot to be learned from uh, checking out history. Mm -hmm. So we talked about constants. What's the most surprising thing for you personally since being CEO? Yeah, so about the industry specifically? Or? It could be anything, so I guess about your role, what you yeah. expected from yeah. the job, or about the industry. Yeah, so you know, I, I would say that one of the most, and, and I would say it's a surprise, not because I thought a different way and, it, and it's come out uh, differently, but because I never really um, thought about the uh, enjoyment and the pleasure I would get from the engagement I find with the small business owners that we do business with. If you look at the MSP industry, it's a cottage industry, you know, that's maturing and evolving and, 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 and growing up. And I spend as much time as I can in the field with our partners and listening and learning and trying to understand what their challenges are so we can go deliver on them. And I have found just as opposed to, you know, the enterprise world is a little more sterile. It's a little more uh, removed, right? Where you're dealing with a large corporation and and you know the business, the relationship is purely a professional one. And my personal, you know, one of the you, you asked what surprised me. My personal engagement with this industry has been a delightful surprise. That not not that I didn't think it was otherwise. I just never had an opportunity to to you know travel around the globe, meet with small business owners because our MSPs are largely small business owners. Have the level of personal and professional engagement with them, you know, that that I've been able to. And also just to be helpful. And, and look, we're not a philanthropic entity, so I don't want to mislead you, but there is an altruistic purpose for what we do. And for me to go around the world and to have partners come up to me and tell me how we've changed their lives, 
how we've we've helped them with their core economics, how we've helped them be successful, how they you know they started with this little business and and they got big and and that they're handing it down to the next generation that their children are taking over the business. I mean, think about how rewarding that is. You know, to have that kind, of, as opposed to IBM telling me that we made a new, right? That 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 they they just made another ten million dollar. Who cares, right? I mean, re really, to have the kind of personal impact on so many of these small businesses, and you know, you had your own. You know, you were acquired as an MSB. You had your own successful outcome, and you it's allowed you to reinvent your new career. Yes, in what, what I enjoy doing. Yeah. In what you, what you love doing, right? And you, you've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of you bring a lot of value into the marketplace and you were a partner of ours and, and so we helped enable that. It's a very it's a very altruistic and but a very, very rewarding and and, and frankly a little bit of an un, unexpected uh, reward for my job. I like it. So based on what you've seen of the evolving MSP market, what would you say to MSPs listening who serve the SMB market? Should they be really aware of over the next 18 months? So there's two things. The, 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 the idea of changing your business model in and around the new way of delivering services to your client. It, it's, it's more, this is not a transactional business, as I said. You really have to think about reorganizing the way you go to market, reorganizing the way you deliver services to your client. And, you know, CompTIA spoke about the whole skills gap issue. Our whole business model is in and around helping companies, again, not buy our product and redeploy it, but changing the fundamental business model uh, within their core business. And, and so that's number one. And I, I just, I encourage everybody to take a step back, take a deep breath, pay attention to these macro dynamics that are taking place in our market. So that you understand, like, what's called, you know, why am I challenged? Why, why is it so hard to find people? Why is it so hard to onboard people? Why do I, I brought on that person and they've got a couple of certifications and I give them a couple more certificates and then they leave me and they, they go to work, you know, because they found some company, they got, you know, they got a couple thousand pounds or a couple thousand euros more that's, you know, a couple, you know, kilometers closer to home and they left, right? Like, you know, how, how can, why is the labor such a problem for me? And if you take a step back from that is you know that issue that that skills gap issue, and you understand the macroeconomics of it, you'll start to solve for that very very differently. And that's where our you know our empowering our partners to shift their business model is so important. So that's number one. And number two is the sharp edge of the selling sword for our partner community is going to be in and around security. Now, if you talk to a small business owner two years ago and you asked them about security, they'd tell you it's a nuisance, right? It's a, yeah, we had a little bit of a problem or I have a neighbor or, you know, I went to an industry conference and somebody got up and told this horrific story, you know, about what happened. And so it's all around me for sure, right? So it's top of mind, but but now it is a, it is a existential threat to small businesses because cyber criminals have found ways to exploit small businesses. They find them very vulnerable because small businesses have not been able to invest in the real you know, commercial grade uh, security products, right, for security defense. So they're the most vulnerable. The SMB is the most, most vulnerable, number one. And number two is that cyber criminals have figured out through ransomware and crypto locker and all of these other methods, right, phishing and and wire transfer, they're using all these things and exploiting the, the SME. 
And so it's gonna be the sharp edge of the selling sword for our partner base, which we love, right? And because it gives them a reason to go out and go break into new geographies and go break into clients that they've never been able to do because they're gonna have security. And it isn't just the technology. It isn't because they dropped down some security tool and they've launched it. Because to really solve the security issue, it's a combination of technology, remediation, which means people, and training. So our partners are going to be fortified with some tools that we're gonna give them. That'll be unified threat management, anomaly detection, and all of those pieces. Remediation, because much like we have a network operations center, we will have a security operations center, which we're in the process of staging now. That'll give us the ability to instant, right? Security is all about instant response. You have to be right on top of it. So it's a 24 by 7, 365 issue. We're gonna be staring in dark rooms at monitors all day and night you know, for everybody's environments to do anomaly detection and have the ability to instantaneously go in, isolate a problem and remediate it out. So technology remediation and then the third element is training where our IT service partners are gonna be able to go in and provide user training to the end customer around, you know, don't let people come in with thumb drives. And when people get links that say, hey, you know, click on me, don't do it, right? I mean, all the, it's, it's, it seems basic for us, you know, in the yeah, technology world. We live world. in the industry, yeah. We live in the industry. But, you know, for the person in the law firm, for the person in the dentist's office, for the person in the insurance brokerage, they, they're not, you know, they, they're not used to that, right? They're only dealing in the consumer world. And so, it, you know, so training is going to be an important element to it. So we're giving our partners the new sharp edge of the selling sword to allow them to go into clients they've always wanted to win over and go win them over because they're going to have something that's unique and differentiated for them that none of the other MSPs are gonna have unless they're using using our platform. So we're sat in the Tate Modern, and again, apologies for the noise here, but we're in central London, so this is just about as quiet as it gets <laughs> anywhere, and I really wanted to grab this time with you. Um, you're clearly a man of good taste, because you're drinking an old grey tea here. What would you <laughs> say, what would you, what would you say is the best decision that you've ever made? Well, that's a hard, that's a hard, uh, you know. I'm not here uh, to ask I, the easy questions. Hopefully my wife's listening because it would be to have asked her to marry me, uh, for Well, sure. let me narrow it down a bit. So <laughs> what's the best decision you've ever made professionally? Yeah, so so we spent a lot of time looking, and you, you mentioned, you know, Zenith as the forebearer to this industry. And we spent a lot of time looking at all the different vendors in this space because Zenith and, and Kaseya were really the two companies that started the MSP industry, as you, as you recall. And, but then, you know, some other companies emerged out of there, GFI, which is now Logic Now, as you know, and Enable. Uh, there are companies in the backup and disaster recovery space, Autotask, there's all these other companies that emerged that I feel good about, you know, the cornerstone of our company being the you know the the you know one of the one of the godfathers if you will to to this industry and before we made the acquisition we looked at all these companies they all traded if you if you think about it for a moment you know in the time frame we we acquired the zenith assets in uh, September of 2011 and shortly after that took place Kaseya ended up getting acquired Storagecraft's now been acquired right Autocast all these companies got acquired and at Logic Now, of course, now owned by SolarWinds and all this stuff. And so we looked at all these companies and from, from the perch of a private equity firm. I, I was doing due diligence for um, Summit Partners, Summit Partners based right here in London, right? The, the, uh, and, uh, 
and uh, off of Old Burlington Road, if you know, they're in the, the Queensboro building. And so we, we were doing a lot of research in and around this space. And a lot of people said they thought that technology was going to automate things that, and if you look at it, everybody's talking about automation nation, all this stuff. But what they didn't understand that we really got our heads around was that the real problem wasn't around automation. We automate just as well as anybody does. Nobody's, nobody's building tools or technology or anything any better than we are. The real problem to solve for our partners was in and around labor. And, and we had the pundits, we had the research analysts, everybody telling us that the cloud was gonna come in and the cloud was gonna simplify this world and the cloud was gonna eradicate the need for any, no servers are gonna be on premise anywhere with any of these clients inside of three years. You know, literally people were telling us like, don't do it. Don't, don't go and don't, don't buy into this space. Don't buy into this category. And we disagreed. And we, we, our research told us something very, very different. And our research, we got focused on the skills gap. We got focused on the big, when we went around and interviewed the community, not under the guise of Zenith, not under the guise of Kaseya, not, not under anything else. We just went around as independent and we sat with MSPs just like you. And we said, Richard, tell us, don't let me tell you about my product. Why don't you tell me about your challenges? Why don't you tell me what your problems are? What, you know, what, what's prohibiting you from growing? What's prohibiting you from being successful? What's prohibiting you from increasing your profitability and all that stuff? And every single, in every single instance, the common denominator was labor. The common denominator, the common challenge across the entire industry, not just in the US, not just here in Europe, but around the world and all these first world economies was the skills gap. And so we said, that's the problem to solve. That's the challenge for our partners and therefore everything we do, you know, from the moment we made the acquisition, every investment dollar we've ever made was in and around this whole service delivery engagement model, you know, for the partner community. That was the problem we were gonna just get maniacally focused on solving flawlessly for our partner. And so if you, you said, you know, what's the best professional decision we ever made? It was to go against what all the research analysts told us. Yep to go against, you know, everybody telling us, no, 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 you know, technology's gonna solve that problem. Technology didn't solve that problem, and it's not. The problem's gotten a lot worse, as you know, you know, yeah. for people. And you go out there and talk to any one of these IT service companies, they'll tell you the number one challenge they have is in and around labor. And that's the number one challenge that we're, so that was the best decision we ever made. Good decision, good yes. decision. <laughs> I agree, I um, agree. In terms of, what you just said about going out and asking customers, what do you want? I'm intrigued, and I don't know whether you would agree with this, Michael, or not, but a lot of vendors that I see uh, push products out and then go to their clients and say, hey, you need this, and the clients go, not really, mm -hmm. I don't really see a, a, a pain for that. Why do you think more vendors don't ask their MSP customers what they actually need, what yeah. their problems are? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think we're I think we're on the leading edge of something that a lot of companies are going to need to move to, uh, and they're going to need to move to quickly. If you look at any of them, they are truly vendors, right? They're very transactional. You can go online to somebody's store and buy their BDR, and they'll ship it to you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, and I don't I th I don't I think that's I think the sands underneath their feet are changing very very quickly. They already ha they already have. I told you that the, the, the right now the lion's share of our business are from people that are coming from these vendors that are saying you know I'm fine with their tool I'm fine with their BDR I'm fine, you know with all that stuff but they they don't solve my real problem my real challenge 
and I need your engagement model. I need it from the service delivery side, and I need it from the go-to-market side. I need help with marketing. I need help with sales. I need help with education. I need help with training. I need all that stuff. So we have built our whole business around that. And I, I think that, uh, you know, you said, why haven't more of them gotten to it? I think they're going to have to move very, very quickly. You know, to this to this model and the idea of a partnership—it's more than a word, right? You you heard how we you know talk about go talk to our partners and they'll tell you, like we are fully engaged and fully immersed. It's it's part of our casting our lot with our partner community, which is if you're not successful, you know we're not selling you something. You don't you don't sign up for a year's contract with yeah. us. You're not buying a thousand agents for some set number of dollars. You can put on our technology and take us off on a day-to-day -day basis. So think about that. We have to earn our partner's business every day. We give them the ability to put us, you know, commission us and decommission us in and out of their environments every day. You don't have to make a commitment. You don't have to make a payment up front. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It's a utilization-based model that's based on your success. So you go out, you know, you engage us, you, you know, you deploy us, and at the end of the month, we bill you on what you've used. We don't bill you on what you didn't use. You didn't buy a thousand. You don't have a three-year commitment to us or any of that. And so, I, and I, I think we're, I think we're just ahead of the curve. I think all of the companies in our space are going to need to move to that very, very quickly. And if they don't, I, I, frankly, I think they're just going to simply fail. I think the transactional sell you something, go use my technology world is over. What about partners who say their customers would never accept an outsourced service? And I know there's plenty that get in touch with me. As I said, when I tweeted out that I was going to be interviewing you, there was a lot of interest from people in yourself and the continuum service. But equally, there's a lot of people that I speak to on a day-to-day -day basis who say, eh, my customers would never accept outsourced services. How do you answer those partners? Well, they're the, pro they're, they're, they're the same places where the customer's saying, no, don't outsource, and will you lower my rates? <laughs> and, and, you, and you look at them and you say, you know, they're saying, I want better technology, I want, I, want your ser I want more and better of your services, and I want it to be cheaper. And you go, well, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know that any of our MSPs are in the business of subsidizing their, their customers, right, yeah. uh, with those economics. So, so the answer is, it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. We do live in a truly global economy. And, and as long as it's a company that was engineered from the ground up to bring the global economics of an incredibly skilled, gifted labor force into these local uh, markets and be able to deliver it in a way that that's not visible to the client, you have to remember that our global service team never talks to the client. They're, the client wouldn't even know it's outsourced. The only reason that they would ever think, they'd sit there and they go, wow, your guys were unbelievable because we had this issue in the middle of the night and whatever and it got resolved and you know, Richard, like how are you guys, you guys are getting any sleep, <laughs> right? Because you gotta remember, IT is episodic. You know, IT problems happen when they happen. They don't happen when you happen to be in the office. Sure. And so the fact that we give you a 24 by seven, 365 global workforce at an economic, you know, to go deliver, it's, you can't compete. You know, just, you just simply are not going to be able to compete, you know, without the ability to go do that. So, so, you know, we don't find the resistance. You said before, you know, is there a difference between either sort of the US and the European? I think that certain geographies have a different appetite for this concept. We're in Sydney, Australia. And, you know, and Australia is a is a geography that has been outs has outsourced every part of their economy since the day they ever got started. 
And so they're completely used to it. In fact, they never, there's nothing's made in Australia, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally. Nothing other than maybe a little kangaroo hide and a boomerang. <laughs> uh, but, you know, other than that, it, you know, it's not a, it's not a GDP generating economy that, that has been independent or self-sufficient. They've always depended on, on, on some level of outsourcing. So their appetite to do it is phenomenal, right? They're just very, very, they're used to it. They're smart. They're, they're engaging in, 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 uh, in, you know, in this model really quickly and ramping up, you know, incredibly fast. Uh, if you look in the U.S., the U.S. has been a global economy for a long time, and the large enterprise has been outsourcing and smart sourcing to the IT labor markets like India. If you look at most enterprise businesses today, you know there isn't a company, HP, IBM, CA. Go into go to go to Madras or, or Chennai or Bangalore or Mumbai, India, and the IT sector is littered with companies that are based here in the U.S. in the U, in the U.K. I mean in in Europe in in the U.S. So so the U.S. market is also quite familiar with a truly global uh, outsourced market, right? They're, they're, we're we're used to buying technology, if you will. It it might have a it might have a made in America label on it. It might have a made in the UK or a made you know made, you know made in Finland label on it. But most of that, you you go up into the Nordics where you know all the cell businesses, right? Nokia and all these great companies are up there. But if you look at the if you look at their labor force, they're not sitting in Helsinki. Yeah. You know they're they're in India, and so we we can all put a you know made in the UK brand on it all we want. But the fact is, is if you're not tapping into this global economy, uh, then I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be very, very, very difficult for people to go compete. The enterprise has been doing it for a long time, and we now make it very consumable for the SM, you know, the SME, right? That's that's our that's what we're doing is we're giving you the economy of scale. It's very hard for any MSP to go out and go try to build a knock in India. Think about that, yeah. right? Or a help desk in Manila. I mean, it'd be very, very difficult for anybody to do that. So we're bring, we did that. We have all the infrastructure. We have all the automation. We have all the personalization and all of that. It's completely invisible to the client. Client, your client, you know, the MSP's client. They have no idea that this is being done. Over, they have no idea. We don't. You know, we keep. We have local data centers. So we're here in the UK. We're on Europe. You know, we're using the IBM cloud as our data repository. So we have global. Uh, presence with with data centers around the world instantly you know as a result of that we don't have to go stage them and go build them you don't have to expatriatize you know your data or anything uh, like that none of it leaves the any of the geographies that we're in and uh, and and again the fact that it's a global service delivery entity is completely invisible to the client they they'd never know it and some of our clients you know some of our partners they declare it and some of them don't and it's it's completely invisible to them anyway Interesting. I'm very conscious of your time. I'm dominating your time here, in fact. I've got 200 partners yeah. upstairs that would uh, <laughs> probably love to be having this conversation as well. I can't leave the conversation without uh, speaking about You're also the founder of the Continuum Veterans Foundation. Uh, tell us a bit about what that is. Yeah, so look, you know, we, I think, I think all successful companies have, uh, need a purpose, you know, beyond just sort of the economics of making it a successful business. We've been very fortunate. We've been a very successful company, and we wanted to have a philanthropic cause. I think lots of causes are really, you know, there's there's so many causes out there, as you know, that are all so deserving. But we decided to kind of put all of our wood behind a particular arrow, uh, as you know, you know, as part of the NATO, uh, you know, pact and and 
and everything else. You know, we have a we have a um, a world that's that has military risks and everything else in it, and we just feel very grateful for the independence and the freedom that we have in our free worlds and our free, uh, you know, our, our free democracies that we have here in the UK, throughout Europe, really, and throughout the US. And so we feel blessed by that. We just decided to get behind veteran causes. These are people that have served in, in the military, uh, in NATO, in, in uh, the US Armed Forces in any way. And so we, we started this uh, philanthropic entity. It is truly a, uh, a, a, a truly, it's independent from the 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 entity continuum. Sure. Uh, it is a it is a, a, a truly independent um, uh, nonprofit, and we help uh, transition veterans into IT jobs. If you think about a military deployment today, uh, a lot of our brave young men and women are going out, and you know very few of them are learning how to shoot guns. Most of them are. You know, doing reconnaissance, laying cable, dealing with communications, infrastructure, all of those things. And so as they're coming back here into Europe, into the UK, into the US, and in any part of the world, when they're coming back, they're, they're, they're not trained on Microsoft 2012. And so we're helping transition them by you know, providing education and training. We, we provide the, the funding for it. We don't actually do the, tra you know, the, um, uh, the hiring and we don't do the, uh, we don't do the training. We fund entities that do do it, and um, and we do it. We do it throughout Europe. We do it throughout the U.S. And we'll fund any entity. Our foundation will fund any entity that's helping veterans come back and trying to transition into civilian jobs, principally in IT, to try to help the labor, you know, economy in those local markets too. Right. So we're we're we feel like we're we're serving. I mean, it really is truly philanthropic in every way. Uh, but it also is helping serve our industry by providing these absolutely terrifically skilled people and uh, and putting them into the IT community. That's fantastic. Really good. Yeah, thank you for asking about that. It's no, really no, it was something that, that jumped out and I uh, I suspected it was something that you'd be uh, eager to tell people about. So, yeah. So, our time together is coming to an end. I've got to let you get back to that room of 200 people. Um, before we go, what's next for Continuum in the UK and Europe? Yeah, so security is the number one focus for us. We're launching a product uh, toward the end of this year. We know that security also has certain regional attributes. We don't expect that, you know, we have partner advisory councils that are in different parts of the world. We're meeting tomorrow with our partner, our European partner advisory council, and we help them help shape our roadmap. We have them tell us what are the issues. And you might be, we might be getting infiltration from certain ransomwares or certain kinds of uh, different challenges and problems and we want to listen to it, pay attention to it, and have them help shape and form our roadmap. So I'd be better informed at the end of tomorrow than I'll be today, because <laughs> uh, all I have today for you is our, you know, the roadmap that's been formed by yeah. that, yeah. that Partner Advisory Council before. It's an ongoing process, by the way. We meet with the European uh, Partner uh, Council every quarter. Um, we're in technology. The stuff moves fast. You know the issues are, the, you know the issues, you know move quickly, right? We're not we're not in the glacier business or dinosaurs. We're in we're in high technology, and so we want to stay on the on the edge of it. We want to make sure that we're addressing the needs of our partner community, with whatever they may be, and um, and we know that security is the topic, Richard. Uh, but now we're going to get down to the specifics, like you know what are the problems? How do you need to address them? You know, and all of that. So we're going to hear more about. What are the technologies? What are the tools? What are the what are the issues that 
they face and what are the things that they need to go bring you know to their market and uh, and we're really excited about that fantastic well thank you so much for your time today Michael thank you for the peppermint tea and the conversation and thank you for hosting us here at the Tate Modern it's a beautiful True. venue and I've really enjoyed spending time with Continuum today so really a pleasure thanks for your time yeah well thank you thanks for listening to Tub Talk the podcast for IT business owners you can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. Every review helps us reach new listeners and helps raise the bar for success in the IT industry. In our next episode, Richard speaks with another of the senior management team at Continuum, Chief Revenue Officer, Bob Kosis. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next episode. Have a great day. Okay, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, The Email Laundry. The Email Laundry combines security services with your customer's preferred email service to give them a truly enterprise-worthy email system. Well, what does that mean? Well, as an IT business, whether your customers are using Office 365, Hosted Exchange, an on-site exchange server, or any other type of email solution, cloud-based email security from The Email Laundry is a neat and effective solution for your customer. It will block spam and virus email with an impressive catch rate. Put simply, when your customer's email server is protected behind the email laundry, they'll thank you for the security it offers them. Now, the email laundry are offering free email security for your own domain to all listeners to this podcast. All you have to do is to sign up for a free partner account through the special listener URL, www.theemaillaundry.com forward slash tublog. Use that link to have your own domain filtered for free for one year. And there's more to this special offer. If you bring on board 100 pay mailboxes during your first six months, the email laundry will give you your own domain for free for another 12 months. So that means two years of the email laundry service for your own domain for free. Sign up for the email laundry now using the special listener offer at www.theemaillaundry.com forward slash tublog.